0: Mother Earth is psychedelic. Her body is covered with psychoactive, sacred medicine. Can psychedelics help us become more conscious and loving parents, partners, lovers, and leaders? Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, the Psychedelic Mom, a mother and entrepreneur partnering with Mother Earth's sacred plant medicines to heal, awaken, and learn to live in alignment to my truth. Psychedelic literally means soul revealing. What reveals the soul to oneself is psychedelic. I invite you to join me in deep conversations with leaders, healers, seekers, and other parents. I will share my journey, the wisdom, practices, medicines, and mistakes that have changed my life and personal stories of others on this wild path. We are the medicine needed to birth the more beautiful world we know is possible. Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom podcast. I'm so happy to be here today with Dom Foreman. She is a author and a conscious entrepreneur trying to lead in the psychedelic space and help other conscious entrepreneurs leading. So welcome here today. It's so good to see you. Thanks Michaela, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited for this conversation and to dive into your book and what brought you here. You have a company called Dot Connect and Dose Connect. So, we're going to kind of peel back the layers of you, how you got here and this book that you just released. So, can you tell us when did the book launch?
1: Yeah, the book launched about a month ago, March 28th to be exact, and it's called Now Here, A Journey from Toxic Boss to Conscious Connector.
0: Well, let's just start there. Let's start at the toxic boss part. How were you a toxic boss, and when did you realize you were a toxic boss, and in what ways did that show up in your career? I realized about a year
1: into leading my team and my company in 2020, it was about a year in at that point. That things weren't really working. And I often looked around me and outside of me and pointed fingers and blamed others for why things weren't working. And there became a time in early days of the pandemic where I had had enough, but it was really going back to me. Like I had to kind of look in the mirror and say, is it really everybody else that's, this isn't working? Or is it the fact that maybe it's me And so that was a tough realization and that's what started, you know, the beginning stages of now what's been a couple of years of this deep inner work and healing and all of the things. So that's what the book talks about is truly just the last three years and really the last like two years of deep, deep work.
0: And so when you were in this place where it wasn't really working, how many hours were you working and what were you, how were you showing up?
1: So I was a workaholic. I've always been a workaholic and that was my initial kind of drug of choice and fix. And so I started working in my career at 17 and I wanted to grow up really fast. And so that's what I did. And I never took a break ever until right now, until this point in in my career, in this stage where I'm reevaluating a lot of things and um, seeing myself in a different light. And I have just different desires for myself, for my family at this point. So for me, it showed up in my workaholism. I was probably working seven days a week, 10 to 12 to 16 hours a day, missing every meal. My husband used to just bring me my food upstairs in my office and I would eat by myself at my desk and bury myself in what felt like, you know, I was doing something to make a difference. But really it was Obsessive compulsive perfectionism that was almost debilitating. You know, I would give people things to do within my company and then I'd take them back and try and do them better. Or I would project what was projected onto me from our clients or our candidates or people that we serve. We were a recruiting company. So, you know, often we were in between companies and talent that they were hiring. And that's a really hard job. But it was the only job I ever knew. That's what I've been doing my whole career. A lot of my time was just. Within the company, I didn't know how to manage people or teams when I started my company. And so going from a high-performing solopreneur person to then trying to lead and inspire and delegate and, and get work done through others was a big awakening and a big challenge for me.
0: I'm thinking of you like in your office, getting your meal delivered. Just that day in and day out of that, I'm wondering what toll that ended up taking on you? And was that the beginnings of something that led you to this path?
1: Yeah, I think it was. I feel like it was very lonely and isolating, but I was doing it to myself. I did not want to be present in my life. I didn't want to be in my relationship. I didn't want to be a mother. I just wanted to focus on what felt comfortable for me, which was working and staying on the computer and staying on Slack and being on calls and feeling important. And then when COVID hit and I wasn't able to travel, because I also used to bury myself in travel and make myself feel important by going wherever my clients needed me most of my life. So when COVID hit and I couldn't travel and I was stuck home in New Jersey, grounded with my husband that felt estranged and my son that I didn't really know well, who was you know four and five at the time. It was a weird place to be. It just felt awkward. Meanwhile, it's this beautiful house. It's it's everything. On paper, it was all of it. We had everything we ever could have dreamed of and wanted. And externally, it looked great, but inside it felt super lonely and disconnected and so I reached a point where I just felt like is this really it? Like is this life? This is it? Or is there a better way and I had a calling it felt like and I had my inner voice really from the depths of my soul cuz it was very quiet it wasn't like a yelling voice it was just like yeah this isn't really working you got to do something different so let's let's see what this entails and you have tried talk therapy you have tried medications you have tried a lot of things you've tried meditation like so maybe you try something different maybe you look into let's think about coaching. Maybe that's for you. So kind of started with that.
0: And did that eventually lead you to earth medicines and psychedelics?
1: Yeah. So it did uh, about a year into my journey. So the first thing I did was invest in working with a coach. And that was a big investment at the time. My company wasn't making money. We, we were very scared in COVID, but I decided I needed to do that. So with what little money I had, I invested in working with my first life and business coach, and really kind of taking responsibility for my emotional health and well-being. And so I did that for about nine months, and it was about April of 2021, I had joined a mastermind called Conscious Leaders Mastermind, run by a different coach of mine, Gerard Adams. And at a retreat that he had, it was not a psychedelic or anything type of retreat, but it was a healing retreat. And I met people who had leveraged psychedelics for deep healing work. And initially, my thought was, nope, hard no, not doing it. I'm scared. I'm not into that. You know, I grew up in corporate America, and those were not the things that you talked about or did or shared or any of that. So I was very conditioned to not be exposed to that stuff. So long story short, I met a a beautiful medicine woman who invited me to go to Costa Rica and do a psilocybin journey with her. With my husband as an attempt to heal our broken relationship. And so I got back from my first retreat and I invited him to come with me to Costa Rica. And he was like really surprised and like rolling his eyes like, wait, you want me to go to Costa Rica and do mushrooms with you? Okay, this sounds great. Let's do it. Let's try it. So that was the first experience. And just the tip of the iceberg, for me, it was interesting because I walked into that Ceremony, not scared and not nervous, and not anything I thought I would be. I was just so open and so ready for something that would really be totally life changing and different, even if it was not the life changing expectation that I wanted it to meet. You know, even if it meant really shaking things up or turning it inside out, I was ready for that.
0: Amazing. It sounds like the discomfort got so great. That again, I think similar to you, I didn't grow up in psychedelic culture. I don't have I didn't have like hippie parents or researchers or anything. So the whole idea of psychedelics and earth medicines would have been like a hard no. And it sounds like for you, the discomfort of being in a square room disassociated really from yourself and your family was just kind of that edge that took you there. So now you're in Costa Rica with your somewhat estranged husband that's delivering meals and who's taking care of your four-year-old at the time.
1: Yeah. At the time, I would say probably my parents had come out to visit and was watching Baxter and they were also kind of eye rolling, like, what is this? What is she doing? Like, what is she getting herself into? Like, okay, you know, I had a lot of people who were pushing back and saying like, your coach isn't going to fix you. These medicines aren't going to help you. You're such an ice queen. You're so harsh and, you know, disconnected. There's no, there's nothing that will permeate to get to a softer side of you. And even my mom for a time was like, there's no way you're going back to like my sweet girl that I remember. That's just not, doesn't exist anymore.
0: Just going back before we go forward in the journey from Costa Rica, what did create this drive at 17 years old? You jumped into work at 17. This workaholic that started at 17, do you have any idea what that drive was and why? Yeah, I
1: think I wanted to provide for myself. I felt like I didn't ever want to rely on any person or any man or anyone to take care of me. I felt like... I came from a fine middle-class upbringing, but I do remember my parents arguing a lot about money when I was a kid, even though we had money. But I think their generation, you know, was like, get a job, work hard, the whole American dream kind of idea. And so for me, I was very called to wanting to get out of my parents' house, be independent, be financially independent And I was okay with delaying gratification. So I graduated high school early and I started working early and I was just in this rush. It was this constant rush to be an adult. And I was okay with like all my friends going out to be teenagers and party and have fun and sneak into bars and do whatever. And I wasn't doing that. I was okay with... Going, you know what? I'm going to work my ass off for 20 years and then I'm going to quote unquote retire by the time I'm 40, and then I'll have my fun. So I looked at it in terms of like committing to this career or profession or level of work. And even now, I'm 38 now. I'm like, oh, two more years. Like, will I hit the goal? Will I quote unquote retire or what will happen? But I definitely, for the first half or longer of my career, was just heads down working for whatever I thought I was going to get at the end of this tunnel.
0: You were delaying gratification for kind of the American dream of retirement at 40 and financial freedom and sacrificing so many things, connection to your child, connection to yourself, fun, probably aspects of your life. That is a time of like great individuation to go do some things that are, you know, get in touch with who you are. So how did the retreat go in Costa Rica with your husband?
1: Yeah, I think it was a good step in the right direction, but I was also maybe, you know, a year-ish into my inner work at that point, and he was 0% into his inner work. So he was like, yeah, I'll try this. This is great. I've I've done mushrooms before. Perfect. Like, so he was excited from that standpoint, but he wasn't in any level of healing work, period. So we were while it was helpful a little bit we still had a long way to go because it's not like a quick fix it exposes you to so many other things right so it it helped us get to a place of empathy for who we were what we'd been through childhood stuff that came up for both of us and all of that was beautiful but the real work is what we're in now we're in this you know 2 years later almost to the day that we've gone through that experience and we've, it hasn't been just easy and perfect. It's been really, really, really challenging. And my husband's only been in his deep plant medicine work probably since last, you know, August. So like six months really. And so I have to really be.
0: And it takes time.
1: Yeah. It takes time. You have to integrate. I'm accepting of his process and his timeline and it's not my timeline. And so that's the other thing that we're working through now is being on different timelines. And, you know, one of the biggest pieces of our marriage coaching work that we're doing right now is committing to our marriage work as the biggest priority of our life, not at the bottom of the list of all the other work that we do. Because what was happening was I was just on my journey. Again, like in my normal way of like, let me just me do me, like I'll figure my stuff out and everyone else will be left in the dust, and. And so now we've really had to commit to, we are in marriage coaching, we're going to do this for six months, commit it as our number one priority, we're in it to win it, we want this to work, but if after that, it's not getting there, well then we'll have to have a different conversation and both respectfully, you know, move forward in different directions. So we've kind of come to that place, but it's been two years of that work.
0: That's amazing. Just even thinking about all the authentic conversations that have to take place to get to where you are. And like you said, psychedelics, you know, you heard from people like, oh, psychedelics aren't going to fix you. They're not going to make you different. And it's true. And they open us up in ways that other things don't but i think that you know the hard part about that is it's almost like you're in a washing machine for a while yeah <laughs> and a dryer like a tumble spin of like oh something else that i need to be aware of of my about myself and i mean i think a lot of times when this work isn't being done as couples what we find is some of our marriage and our relationships are trauma bonds and we're so unconscious of the ways that the wounded girl fell in love with the wounded guy and um does that get soothed out? We do have to do our own work, but to heal as a couple, like both partners have to be doing it. And what you're talking about too, is I think really common timelines may be different. And then how do you walk that path? And it sounds like you've like navigated so much authentic conversation around where you both are, which that in and of itself is psychedelic. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I know I think about it too, because we wouldn't have been able to have these conversations that we've had even in the last two weeks with the level of emotional awareness and the level of acceptance and openness and not judgmental or defensive um, that we've had. So there has been a lot of growth there. And I think regardless, however the situation ends up for us in the future. I'm hoping it will work out and we will be able to tell a story of, hey, this really helped us and saved us and redirected us and and got us to a, a healthy relationship that neither one of us could have even ever imagined. Because to your point, when we met, I was just turned 23, had only really had one major relationship before meeting him. He was 33 and just moved to California from Australia. And we kind of crashed into each other and it wasn't <laughs> super healthy from day one. So now we're both you know uh-huh. figuring this out and trying to see like is there still something there and for me in my healing journey, like I'm excited. I'm ready for joy. I'm ready for a, a passionate relationship. I'm ready to be fully who I am and not be hiding in my work and be accepted and loved on and all of that. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but at the same time, I know that if it doesn't work out, we'll be able to walk away saying, look, we we put everything there and we still love each other and we still have an amazing son. And that's that.
0: I think because like having those conversations are the conversations we avoid our whole lives and we're in our office disengaging because those conversations seem so scary and overwhelming. So to be in those deep conversations and be on this authentic path, wow, I salute you honestly. A lot of courage. And um, I'm definitely going to have you back because I want to follow this journey of you and your husband and your family and see where it ends up. I hope it's a heroine and heroic journey.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm in it to win it, like, like I said. So we'll see.
0: And so now let's talk about your book and how psychedelics impacted Who you are as a leader and as a conscious connector in the world. What's been so beautiful about what
1: psychedelics have brought to my life is just the ability to reconnect with my essence, like who I've always been, who I know myself to be, who I wanna be, and bringing more of my heart out. And through doing that, that has changed the dynamic of my company culture. So, We've won several awards. We made it on Inc. 5000 last year. We'll be on it again this year. Amazing.
0: All of that. Thank you. Congratulations. I want to just stop and celebrate, you know, female entrepreneurship and success from a place of doing what your soul feels called to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, to have that all happen while I'm in the midst of this, like, huge, transformation and like death of identity of sorts and still in a lot of different processes has been really beautiful. And to see my team, most of them come along for the ride and be inspired to take action in their own inner work and healing, regardless of plant medicine or not, at least they're curious and they, you know, ask questions and they're showing up as conscious connectors, which to me is just so beautiful and it's a testament to, you know, when you do your own inner work, the ripple effects that it has in your community and in your life. And even in my parents seeing what, what they're um, doing and getting into and interested in, you know, my mom's like on the, some super health bender right now and just it's interesting watching her um, get into that and also in her microdosing journey. And so it's, it's really been beautiful.
0: Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's you know? I love it. I yeah. love it. My mother recently has been asking me to serve her medicine. She's like, I want the medicine. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Amazing to see my mother's older than your mother, but that generation makes some amazing paradigm shifts.
1: Yeah, I think it's huge. I think it's brave. And I think that it's so amazing because it will allow them to get so much presence, I just got back from TED last week, and one of the, the most beautiful conversations that I had and watched was a woman named Alua Arthur. She's a death doula, and so she's a company called Going With Grace, and so she helps people who are in the final stages of their life transition you know, with ease and grace and not be scared. And so a lot of what she talked about in the net net of the conversation was, like, don't wait until you're on your deathbed to live your life, and don't wait to be present and do the things that bring you joy. And it sounds simple. And I know everyone is saying these kinds of things now, but to really think about it, like she had us do a visualization of our final day. What would that look like? What would it feel like? Who would we be with? What would we want to feel in our body and all of that? And it was really, really beautiful. And I just think, you know, as we look at our parents who are you know, really getting late later in life, right? Like you want them to just have so much presence and joy and like forget all the BS that is the human experience and just be happy.
0: That's beautiful. And it is so simple and yet it's hard. Maybe it's the child conditioning. Maybe it's the cultural, social conditioning that we all have that breaking down, as you talked about, it's like letting go of the many layers of masks coming to your authentic self. Like it doesn't just happen. You have one chapter in your book. We were just talking about it before we jumped on, uh, change your thoughts, change your life. It's like one of my favorite phrases. And we were talking about how sometimes so much of what we're running on is 80% the unconscious and the subconscious. So that even is a challenge for people, all of us, not people, all of us to like change our thoughts because sometimes we don't even know the depths of how deep they go. So it's all these simple things, and yet it can be just the journey. What I found that's been helpful for me is I have a bunch of sticky
1: notes, and I put them on the screen behind my desk. So I look at them, and they're very simple reminders that will help when I do feel like I'm running my automated programming or like I mentioned before we got on. When I have friends that are in the work, and I hear them now with their old stuff, their old thoughts, I'm able to like gently redirect them or call it forward that yeah, I don't think that's really you. I think that's old you, lower, lower version of yourself, you talking about A, B, and C. And so let's change the conversation or let's elevate the conversation to be more in alignment with, you know, higher frequency you and who you are now and how you want to show up. Cause it is important. Language is important, I think, especially when you talk to yourself and I know for me, what plant medicine has brought to me is self-love and compassion. So literally in my Peru experience with ayahuasca last year, the end of my first night, and it was a hard journey. It was beautiful, but it was hard. The end of it, I just was laying kind of on my side and I kept feeling like I was on my grandma's lap and she's rubbing my head and she kept saying, self-love and compassion. You don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders anymore. It's okay. And it's okay to rest and like you don't have to do everything. And so that stuck with me. So when I go in my spirals, I just go, okay, self-love and compassion. And I have softened my inner voice and inner critic has softened a bit. And now I can notice her and accept her and, you know, let her kind of come and pass through but not go on the ride with her, I guess is the best way to put it.
0: Yeah, I love that the way you're describing it. It's so true. It's like these core negative beliefs come in. And if we go on that ride, that roller coaster ride, we don't know where we're going to end up. And pausing and just doing exactly what you just did the message from your medicine journey. And then I can imagine, I mean, in the process is that ripple effect that we were talking about earlier, too. It's like when you bring that compassion and deep love and kind of move that critical voice out, you can support others in it and you can lead and mother from that place. So I'm curious how just the two things that you mentioned from psychedelics have impacted your work, but also your motherhood.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking that as as you were saying that, because yesterday I picked my son up from Boys and Girls Club and was getting ready to take him to jujitsu and he said he didn't feel like going. And then we talked about how feelings are fleeting, and I had to explain, do you know what fleeting means? And do you know what, you know, just because you don't feel like you want to do something, you can still do it, and you have to choose to show up for yourself, and you're going to not want to go, but when you choose to still go, despite feeling like you don't want to, how much better are you are going to feel afterwards? And so I had to go on this whole tangent with him. And he was fierce. Like, he is a very strong-willed kid, and he was fighting me the whole way. And I kind of took a minute, I took a breath in the car and he got out of the car and slammed the door and was waiting to go in and like, okay, I have a choice here. Like I can feed into his energy or I can like hold the line with my energy and light. And so that's what I did. So then I just had him hop on my back and I gave him a piggyback ride down to his jujitsu and dropped him off and he was laughing and fun and it worked out because i just was like how can we make this fun and make this not my normal my normal automated program mom would be like get your ass in there you're going and yelling at him and so that is not the vibe right so it's a work in progress it's not always as perfect as that example but it has allowed me to be a better mother because i really am like trying to lead from my heart and i'm trying to be a conscious mother and explain these these life Lessons and wisdom to him. My son's only nine, and there are ways in which I can pepper this in in language that he understands. But he's also very deep and intuitive, like I am, anyways. So we're very soul connected, and and so I can talk to him in a way where he'll get it. You know, we he ex- understands feelings are fleeting. He knows in and I talk to him too about language and how you you know how you talk to yourself and what you say because he I can see him going well. He'll make a comment. Oh, I'm. I'm not that good at this. And I go, yeah, you're not that good, but you're learning. So don't say you're not good. Just say you're learning and you're starting to know more and get more effective skills in A, B, and C. And so I think this work has just allowed me and my husband to be better parents.
0: It's amazing, too, because when you are just, I would say, one of the things that earth medicines do, too, is they get you back in your body. And I think when we are disassociated and we're working and we're kind of removing ourselves from the harder conversations where we're just disconnected and we're disembodied, just the very presencing, what you just did with your son of just like presencing from the place of compassion and love, the self-regulation that you did, how it affects the entire, whether it's a corporate team or the entire house, when we can self-regulate Know what's true in our hearts and then go come from a place of like playfulness, like you did, changes everything. And like you said, it's not perfect, there's a lot of stumbling.
1: I think with my company, too, you know, I've been able to try to self regulate. There are times when I'm not always in my higher self, there are times where I'm triggered and I'm reactive and things set me off for sure. But I know now I can catch myself. Or, you know, I give myself a minute to feel things. I don't have to just push it to the side. But if I am triggered and frustrated, I will go there for five minutes. I will feel angry and frustrated and let it kind of roll through me. And then I'll kind of shake it out and go, all right, on to the next thing. In some cases, I'll remove myself. I was talking to someone on my team the other day. And I said, yeah, I'm feeling really frustrated and a bit down today, so I'm just going to shut my computer off and I'll talk to you tomorrow because I'm not going to be – this is not going to be a good conversation if we keep talking because I know how I'm feeling and I need to just go for a walk and chill.
0: Pretty amazing. Just taking care of yourself.
1: Yeah, it's important.
0: So let's dive into the book a little bit now here. What inspired it and what is your hope with it?
1: So I was inspired to start writing a book after I finished a program called the Alt MBA and it was in July of 2020. I signed up in April because I had nothing to do and I felt like it was an interesting thing and you know the world was locked down so it was a way to connect with people. It's a 31-day program. It's um the brainchild of Seth Godin, who's a, this amazing marketer, super funny guy. And so 31 days of writing, reading, reflecting, giving feedback, getting feedback, synthesizing, refining. And so that kind of kickstarted my love for writing again. And one of the coaches in that program said, I think you should write a book. And I said, oh, okay, cool. So I I started writing a manuscript back then, then put it away, was always self-editing, super critical, like it wasn't going anywhere. So last year I was in a mastermind and part of the mastermind was we had to commit to a creative project that we would ship by the end of the year. And we had accountability around it. And so my project was my book. And I took the first manuscript that I had, I revised it, made a book plan, worked with a publisher, and then that's the book now that you all see. It was an interesting experience writing a book while you're deep, deep, deep in earth medicine work. Last year was my massive year of exploring all the things and trying everything and not really baking in enough time for integration and like writing a book from that place was out there for sure. But yeah, yeah I for think-
0: anybody who hasn't done earth medicines, when you're when you decide to take the dive and you're doing maybe multiple earth medicines a particular year, it can be <laughs> untethering. I mean, it can suddenly, you can feel like there's really nothing to grasp onto because it's removing so much of your conditioned thinking. So is that from the place that the book was written? Yeah, I
1: would say for sure. Yeah. I mean, the last couple of chapters talk about Peru and other experiences, but I have you know, so much more to tell. I think I was telling you this before, like the funny joke is that we're not done here yet. That's going to be my next book. Cause I think I went out there with the world going, yeah, well here I'm now I'm here. Perfect. You know, I'm, I'm healed and I'm this and that, but it's really continuing the ongoing evolution of life as we know it. And knowing that life keeps showing up. My friend Brandon Collinsworth says it's life awaska. Now like you might go do ayahuasca but you don't even need that you just have life ayahuasca cuz you're learning
0: lessons all the time in your human experience all the time. I always say life is psychedelic. I mean anything that reveals truth and I mean a trigger can reveal our truth. A great moment of time can reveal our truth but life is constantly psychedelic. Completely
1: I agree we we would say life is ceremony and the ceremony starts you know way before the ceremony starts.
0: I think what's interesting, too, the thing that you're pointing at is on this path, we can heal something big and then be like, whoa, I'm done. (laughs) I did it. I went into the shadow. I reclaimed the parts, and I'm done. And it's humbling when suddenly you realize, oh, there's more. (laughs) And there might be an infinite journey of more. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. So this book, Now Here, is, who would you say the target audience of this book is?
1: I'd say probably anybody who's, you know, worked for 15 or 20 years and a job or a career or been heads-down workaholic who is in a place where they're curious to see something more about themselves or life. And it, my hope is that they read it and maybe they take action in their healing journey or they're inspired to do one thing for themselves that, you know, then leads to other things. Like they're excited to kind of get on their journey and they're curious and open. And it's gives you a lot of practical tips and tools and ideas. And it's by no means exhaustive. It's just like, hey, this is what has, have I been doing, but... You know, try it, see how it goes for you, and just do one little thing and see how it might change your life when you're consistent and you have a devotion to something.
0: So, when you were in that year process and the process that you're in now, what medicines did you do? So, I did
1: uh, ayahuasca. So, we did three ceremonies in Peru. I did two psilocybin journeys. I microdosed psilocybin and LSD. I did my first big LSD journey. I did two of those over time. Like obviously this wasn't all within the same week. This is over the whole year. I did two, five MEO DMT journeys and Wachuma as well. And they're all just such a range. Like for me, I just felt like Dora the Explorer and I was just going into everything like, let me try this and let me try that. And how about this? And they're powerful, you know, they're powerful medicines. And so I think initially when I was right out the gate, I was very much like, everybody needs to do this. And now I'm definitely not of that mind. I feel everybody, anyone who is interested and curious, do a little bit of research, listen to things like this and, you know, talk to community, talk to people who you know and trust and love, but they're probably not for everyone. But for me, they've been life-changing. And also this year, like I'm taking a break on a lot of That I am going to another retreat at the end of May in Costa Rica for my second ayahuasca. But even so, I booked that in January feeling like I'd be like ready. And now I'm like, oh, I'm a little scared. Okay. (laughs) Like I'm signing up for this again. And like, what's this going to bring up? But also, it could be super beautiful because of the amount of stuff that I've surfaced. I'm excited to see now, you know, what else is for me there.
0: I think it's interesting, too, what you're talking about as far as integration goes, because I can think of certain journeys that I've had that I think I'll be integrating that my whole life. Like, it's just deep integration, just like life is psychedelic. Life is an integration process. (laughs) Like We're we're constantly integrating what we're learning and experiencing. Sometimes
1: people just have one experience. I talked to this woman who told me she had an LSD experience 25 years ago with her with her dad, and she said, "That's the only thing I've ever done, but it changed my life. and i' I'm still learning from it. I'll never forget it. And so I think that that's the other thing too. For me, I was, you know, exploring a lot, and now I know which medicines are for me, which ones maybe aren't, and I feel good about that. and now i I don't have like fomo. I think before I was like, "Oh, I've tried this. Okay, let me try that and this, and now I'm like, all right, I'm good. I feel good. I feel complete this year." I don't have any other big things planned. And if something comes up and I'm I'm feeling it in my sacral, yes, authority, then I'll do it. But yeah, it's just a different energy that I'm in.
0: It's interesting because I'm in a group of, you know, I have circles of medicine, women who serve medicine. And we've been talking about this because the other thing I'm noticing is, number one, the same within myself. Like I haven't felt called to medicine And then what I'm noticing with my clients is so strange. Like, you know, Einstein's quote, you can't fix a problem with the same level of consciousness that created the problem. Well, what I've been noticing is clients, I've just recently, even three people that had asked for to do medicine and wanted medicine journeys, like they didn't even need it. Everything was right there on the surface. Like I'm kind of wondering, I've said to my friends, it's like, did consciousness just expand? Because what earth medicines do is they shine the light on what's not conscious. And so suddenly I'm just even noticing working with clients where it's like what would have been unconscious and unavailable to them that would have taken a psychedelic. It's like, and I can do a somatic deep going into the body with eyes closed and it's like, you don't need medicine. it's It's right there for you right now. And so I'm noticing, I'm like, wow. has there been like some cosmic shift where consciousness just opened up a little bit and let all the shadows rise so close to the surface? Like you look at the last even few years in politics, like everything and covid, everything bubbled up to be looked at. that's like, whoa, they have it's probably been going on forever. But so much has risen to the surface. And I, I wonder if that's the same for us as human beings, that we're having more access to what wasn't conscious before without earth medicines. I don't know. That's that's kind of what I've been seeing in my work or what you said. Someone does one journey and it's like they have cleared so much and maybe like what took me five to even get like even a glimpse of, you know?
1: I did a deep emotional intelligence leadership development training that was not psychedelic and it was so powerful. We didn't need anything. The meditations were powerful, the screaming, getting it all out, somatic work was powerful. Even now I bought myself alchemy bowls and I play my sound bowls every day. I'm investing in a singing coach so I can start singing with it just so I can do more of that work for myself. It doesn't always have to be the earth medicines. And even the work that I'm doing with my husband, at one point he was like, I feel like we need another journey. And I'm like, I don't think we need that. I think what we need is all this other stuff, this communication, this commitment to each other, this coaching, this dialogue. It's not like, you know, a psilocybin journey is going to really help us. It might amplify some things, but it's not going to help us right now.
0: Right. Because basically what ends up happening is you have to learn a new language. It's like, it's a completely different language to be in partnership with somebody from, like, what is a psychedelic marriage? What is a marriage where both people can be authentically themselves and speak from that truth and hold their own emotion? knowing it's, oh, this is a trigger, but this is mine. This is old. But I need your help in healing this. You know, like we heal within relationship. It's a completely different language. Yeah, I like that psychedelic marriage. So what is the big T and the little T in your book? I'd like to know that. I saw that chapter. The big T and the little T talks about
1: big T trauma and little T trauma. And just for myself, you know, if you're not familiar with that term or those terms, big T trauma is what you expect it to be, you know, death and car accidents and rape and murder and just horribly traumatic, big T things and then was it Gabor Mate's work? Yeah, little t are just like your micro aggressions and your micro traumas that tend to pile up because they are little. And so you don't always pay attention to them, but accumulated over time, I would say can be pretty devastating.
0: Yeah, I had a therapist recently tell me that sometimes the overtime kind of parental missteps, neglect, cause are almost harder to heal sometimes than the big T traumas. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think through my
1: work, what's come apparent through even just through breathwork, my grandfather, who I haven't ever met, who died before I was born, came to me in breathwork and told me to forgive my dad because he did the best that he could. And so to me, that was helpful to hear because I was holding a lot of anger and resentment to my dad. And there wasn't any big T trauma with my dad. He just, you know, was busy working and not super present. And it's interesting because he was exactly how I have showed up in my, my relationship with my son, right? So you kind of model the behavior that you see or you accept.
0: There's the generational trauma and that's why it continues. That's why I give you so much credit because as mothers and parents in general, when we're creating the container for our families if we don't make that stuff conscious we're just repeating it
1: when i made the commitment to get curious about all the stuff that was going on and saying this isn't working for me anymore i made the commitment for my son and for for my husband at the time i was like you know what i'm going to do this work for us and when i went to peru i was very scared I felt safe with my group, but I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what's going to come out of this. So like I could come back completely changed person or could uncover things I didn't even know existed, but I was really with strong conviction doing this to, to change the dynamic of the lineage of my family and be the one that is taking the step to healing instead of the one that is just brushing it under the rug or accepting it. And it's been scary, but I feel brave. And it's been challenging because, you know, when I'm not in my highest, purest expression of myself and my healing work doesn't show up, people go, oh, I thought you were healed, but you're still this, or you're still that. Like, there was a lot of arguments with my husband where he's like, why are you doing all this work when you're still, you know, how you are? I'm like, oh, okay, I'm trying.
0: Yeah. That's where the compassion comes in. And I don't know why this is coming up, but I'm thinking too of like when you are in that deep work, whether it's the breath work and you see that stuff that you held of your father's, I can see how some people would say like, what's so hard about the work? Because when someone's talking about it, it's just like, oh, I took earth medicines and it showed me this and this. I think the part that's like so challenging is the felt sense of all the things that never got metabolized and felt. So those feelings that you had about your father come from a little girl. Well, a little girl's emotions and what that physiology feels like for a child is so magnified. And so it's almost like the adult self giving their body and mind over to this process of letting all the child, big T, small T wounds be felt through. That's how I kind of began to look at my body like, oh, here this comes And I'm realizing this is from long ago, but my body can handle this sensation and my mind can handle this. But whether it's big T or small T, it's the stuff we've been running from our whole lives. So it is deep. Confronting it and feeling it has been
1: the hardest work, I think, because I didn't feel anything when I started this work, I didn't cry. I didn't, nothing like you could do anything in front of me and I would not shed one tear because I just had no sense of connection to feelings. And so the last few years it has been layer by layer by layer. And now I have conversations and I'm emotional. And I had an emotional conversation with my mom last weekend when she was here visiting and we went Started one direction and then came around a different direction. By the end, we were both kind of crying and very, very vulnerably sharing. And I felt very close to her, even though it was a really difficult conversation to have and unpack. And that's something I would have probably never done a few years ago. Similarly, with the conversations I've had with my husband, we're both crying about things. And it's a lot to turn those feelings back on again when you haven't felt them for so long.
0: I heard this guy that I follow who was talking about the awakening process and, you know, he'll hold a retreat and then people will say like, I wish I had never started on this path. And I was a little bit like that because similar to you, I'd kind of shut down unconsciously my body, my emotions. My son made some comment at one point, like mom could Zen anything away. And I was like, Am I bypassing? <laughs> Am I using my uh, meditation as a bypass? So then suddenly when all the felt sense of things comes on, I was like, "Oh my god, I have anxiety. Earth medicines gave me anxiety." <laughs> I was like, I was like, I wish I hadn't done earth medicines. They gave me anxiety and it was the realize like, "No, your body is actually learning how to show you when it's uncomfortable and how to use this as a tool, so at first, it's almost like all the nerve endings showing up when they had been suppressed and um, learning how to honor them, manage them, work with them. Yeah, I know that's exactly how I describe it. the nerve endings. it's
1: I feel so fragile right now, especially in this part of my journey. I feel very like delicate, and I'm mindful of that. There was a lot of things I was supposed to be doing and travel and speaking engagements and recently I haven't felt like it's in in alignment so I've just canceled I've canceled and I've stopped and I've put a pin in everything and I'm really committed to my marriage as a priority being home for summer with my son as a priority and everything else second and that feels strange for me because three years ago I didn't care about any of that I just cared about work
0: pretty powerful and so this. (laughs) next book, this next chapter, is the idea that it's not done, that you're still on this journey, ever evolving, and you don't know where you're going to land. Yeah. The work
1: continues and ebbs and flows. There may be times of deeper work than others. I feel very, very content with what's in front of me right now, what I've surfaced and shaken up and... I'm going through um, and what I'm clearing and what that's creating space for and just really leading and leading with trust and faith over fear. And that's been really um, empowering to come from that place instead of being scared or playing small. I feel like I'm able to play a more expansive, bigger, infinite game with this sense of purpose and, and vision and conviction.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the two companies that you launched. I don't know how old they are. I think Dose is new and .com is fairly new.
1: Yeah. So .connect was my solopreneur consulting practice that I turned into a company in 2019. So I built and scaled my team there for the last couple of years. It's a recruiting company, global team we help companies hire anything from interns to executives all functions all levels we did a lot of hiring in tech but also we've supported non-tech as well and that just stemmed from my career being in recruiting forever so that has been quite the journey we call ourselves conscious connectors so if you are an aspiring conscious leader or an emerging conscious leader or a current conscious leader you know we're happy to talk to you and help you build your business and then dose connect came post-5MEO journey that I did and my integration on one of my downloads was like, you need to do dot .connect, but in psychedelics and earlier stage and working with companies to really define their values and their vision and help them understand their org charts, help them find talent, and then help them build conscious cultures within the psychedelic industry that's emerging. Because obviously it's still very infant and emerging. And yeah, those are the two companies. And Super fun, exciting, challenging right now because there's not a lot of hiring happening. But, you know, the clients that we do have are nonprofits. They are super values aligned and they are what I've been holding the vision for. Last year we had a lot of tech clients and it was very challenging because they didn't feel in alignment with how we want to show up. We were working with big, huge tech companies that aren't super conscious.
0: And what's that like feeling that now that you've kind of moved to the awareness of what consciousness in a company is and conscious leaders?
1: Yeah, I think in my true fashion, I tend to be an evangelist and like take the torch and want to go and change the world and change everybody and show them a better way of doing business. But now I'm really just focused on how I show up and how my team shows up, you know, and being the lighthouse in the dark places because the unconscious companies are the ones that do need to work with people like us because we can bring the new ideas and we can bring this better way of being intentional about hiring and this different, better energy. My hope is that when people work with us, the clients or the talent, they say, wow, that was a really different experience and I loved it. And they're unlike any other recruiters I've ever worked with. And so instead of my big agenda of like changing everything, I'm just focused on, you know, myself and the team and how we help people and show up to create that level of impact. Very cool. Are you loving it? I am loving it. You know, it's um, it's a challenging time in business for us. So I'm trying to really just focus on, you know, what I can do and contribute and control, which isn't a whole lot. And, and let the other stuff work itself out and just keep, keep showing up and being consistent and, you know, knowing that what is for us when it comes to work and clients will, will show up when the timing's right. And so just a lot of mindset work right now is where I'm at. Yeah.
0: So just going back, I'm just curious, the conversation that you had with your mother, because it sounds like, again, it was probably wouldn't have happened prior to Earth Medicines. Would you share at all the theme or anything about that, That if it's helpful to somebody else who may be in a similar scenario?
1: Yeah, it was interesting because I think she gets triggered when I talk about my journey of healing and my quote-unquote trauma because she automatically assumes that it's about her or my dad or my childhood. And so I had to make it very clear and I had to say, the stuff that I'm currently working through in this healing is not about my childhood. It's about my adolescence, my teenage years, and my early adulthood, and my early relationship with my husband. And that's the stuff that I'm working through. And it has nothing to do with you and dad. And you know that stuff has come up, but it's not what I'm thinking about right now. It's not what I'm focused on, actually. And I had a good childhood for all intents and purposes. Like I I had a fine childhood. However, the things that did impact me when I was younger, the the traumas that I remember that show up, those are real for me. You know, and I had to kind of explain that to her. Like, I'm not pointing a finger. I'm not coming at you with judgment. I'm just telling you, I have awareness around this. And this it feels real for me. So when when this comes up and when this shows up for me and when I feel this way or when I'm dealing with anxiety or being in a constant state of fight or flight or having high blood pressure because I'm so anxious, because I've never felt safe, like that's not actually your fault. It just is. It just is what what is present for me. And I think she had to hear that because I think she was going off on her own tangent of, you know, what happened, what happened to me. She asked me like, what, what really happened? What, you know, are you hiding something? And I'm like, no, there's nothing there for you to like freak out about. It's just, this is my process. And it's hard, I think, when your parents aren't doing their own level of work or they're not, you know, in self-healing or any kind of like professional or leadership development. And I think that's just their generation. They didn't have these tools. They didn't do this stuff.
0: No, I've had similar conversations with my mother and it was interesting. She just was here for a while. She spent some time with me and it was very interesting because she's been listening to the podcast and all of a sudden she'll say these things and I'm like, wow, (laughs) I would never have heard my mother say anything like that years ago, even saying like, when are you serving me medicine? (laughs) And she said the other day, like, wow, I'm starting to realize like my whole life. I've just really been the construct. Like I lived my life based on all the conditioning. I'm like, mm-hmm. and then when it's come to my own stuff, I think, again, it's, I'm always trying to share it in a way of like, you didn't know, you know, I reprised some of the same stuff, not knowing we're only conscious of what we know, it's really a lot about the systems and prior generations. It's just choosing to stop, choosing to wake up and say, oh, that way of parenting isn't really allowing someone to be their sovereign truth and and have it and thrive from a place of wholeness. You know, even kind of, I interviewed someone who was talking about her triple wounds, she called them, she called it the triple wound. One was the, as a woman, the disembodiment from her own body, the disembodiment and disconnection from her own mother who was like patriarchalized. So she didn't want to conform to the pretty, perfect, and pleasing. So that created the rift. And then the disconnection from Mother Earth. And like as women, we've all experienced these things. So when I talk to my mother about it, it's like I have deep compassion for you. Like you were doing the best you could in a system that was highly suppressive and oppressive and objectifying of women. So you just perpetuated that in ways, and that's all you knew. I've had this similar conversation. That's
1: almost exactly like what it's been like lately with my mom. She's kind of seeing this and hearing me talk about these things and then reflecting on her own life. I mean, she shared with me her first memory of being scared when she was five years old and like what that felt like and what happened and, you know, how she was describing it. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like that was your, like one of your core traumas because of how you've said it, like what keeps coming up and what you remember about it. And so of course, like that would lead to a lot of dysregulation of your nervous system. And so to your point, through this work, I've been able to come to a place of acceptance and a a lot of empathy and compassion for my parents because when I look at my life, I didn't have it like they had it and my son doesn't have it like I had it. And, you know, even their parents, I just got a picture of my grandma's house where she lived with like six or 10 of her siblings. She had 18 kids in her family and they lived in this one room tiny little red shack in Colorado. And I'm just like, whoa. And half of them were in foster care.
0: Whose needs were getting met.
1: Yeah. So that was, you know, when you really unpack it that way, all we can do is we can't change the things that have happened and the memories that we have or the the things that made us scared. But we can now look at it from a different lens and just love on our parents and accept accept them and and hopefully, you know, share and show them a path to their own healing too.
0: Yeah, that's what I think. I think a lot of the compassion can come when you're starting to open up these dialogues and there's a parent willing to hear them. It, I might be in a different place if I felt like there was a pushback, but I think I'd still be able to to come with compassion. But similarly, I remember my mom telling me very similarly recently a story And I saw her body and I was like, mom, you're having like PTSD response right now talking about this. What if we moved it? What if I could help you just learn how to move that through your body and you do the healing and then you can go back a little bit and help in some ways your own parent in this process so that our kids don't need to do this work.
1: (laughs) I know. I'm like, I hope my son's not in Peru one day going, my mom sucked when I was five and this is why I'm here. My hope is that now I'm a conscious mother and he sees that.
0: I always say to my children, I'm open for repair whenever, like I did the best I can, could, I continue to evolve as a human being, do my own work. And I did reprise some of the things that I grew up with. And I'm always open and willing to relearn your love language, how to love you the best but i'm sure I'm sure maybe a couple of them will be in ayahuasca circles. My hope is actually to do that work together. My hope as the psychedelic mom is to actually have those kinds of ceremonies within families, w- within a mother-daughter situation or son mother situation where we can go into the deeps of the things that we we haven't really been able to contact. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having
1: me. What a beautiful conversation!
0: Yeah, wow. Thank you, thank you for your depth, the work that you're doing just in your home, and then beyond that with your company and connecting people and bringing this message of conscious leadership to the world. I can't wait to like finish your book.
1: Yeah, thank you. So, how can people reach you? So, you can follow me on Instagram at I am Dom Farnan. You can find me on at domfarnon.com or my companies at dot connect or dose thanks so much yeah thank you have a good day
0: if you enjoyed today's show and want to help build a more beautiful conscious and loving world please share this content with friends family and colleagues you can follow this show on apple podcast spotify or whatever platform you use And I'd really appreciate you taking the time to write a review so that others can find these amazing conversations. And if you'd like to see a video version of the show, you can find me on YouTube. Feel free to reach out and connect with me at thepsychedelicmom.com or message me on Instagram at thepsychedelicmom. And remember, you are the medicine.